the cool thing too is that you know the prices cannot get um, too out of control either because they are they're, these tokens are what are called securities tokens. And securities tokens are basically, they follow some very, very strict regulatory compliance. And so what ends up happening is every single year for these properties, we do need to have an evaluation of the, of the price of the property to make sure that we have, that the token price reflects the price of the real estate. And now people can sell it for higher or lower, depending on, you know, the most important thing will probably be ROI, right? The higher the ROI, the more people will want to buy that particular token. The lower the ROI, the less people will want to buy. But essentially, you'll have a, a guide as to what the price of that cryptocurrency will be based off of that annual evaluation of each property, which is kind of cool. All right, welcome back, folks, to another RLT Pivot podcast. My name is Tracy, and I am joined with my awesome co-host, Mr. Dan Jansen. And we have an incredible guest that I'm going to let Dan introduce right now. I've been looking forward to this guy being on the podcast for some time, and yeah, I'm super excited. So I'm going to just wheel it down a little bit while Dan introduces him. Take, take down the excitement a little bit. Take it down. <laughs> bleeding through the screen, but yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, good to good to be back again. We got. Uh, CEO of Arc Wealth, we've got Given Sariol uh, with us today. Given, how are you? Good, man. Good. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate, excited. Uh, yeah, appreciate you joining us. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and and kind of um, even just the overlay of what Arc Wealth is, just so uh, the viewers get an idea of of kind of what's happening here. Yeah. So my company, um, Arc, is a company that's dedicated towards teaching people all things decentralized finance. Um, and that could be, you know, trading uh, futures and all sorts of futures on the blockchain to providing liquidity uh, to basically banking on the blockchain, doing borrowing and lending peer to peer. Um, and we've been doing that now since January of 2018. So almost six years. And uh, yeah, we're excited. We got we got a lot of new tech. Uh, I was just watching one of your uh, your your live uh, evaluation here on the I think you guys were buying like into the S&P 500 or something. Uh, so I was like, oh, cool. I was actually just putting in a trade uh, on a what's called a, a decentralized exchange or a decentralized futures perpetual exchange right, right before I got on here on a, uh, on a new kind of thing that I've been toying around with, uh, with chat GPT, just kind of verifying my numbers. So it was kind of cool to see that. I was like, oh, I've been doing that all day too. <laughs> Except I don't get out like at the end of the market because crypto is 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah, you, you don't have to sell. Uh, for, for, um, so you, I know you're, you're big into like, decentralized and some people might be confused of, of kind of what that is. Why, why, first of all, I guess, what is decentralized? Why is that important? And, and you hear it a lot with all the, uh, the crypto heads, as I, I call them, but everybody's like, hey, decentralized, this is the key, this is the future. Why? Why is it the future? Yeah, so decentralized finance or DeFi, you'll hear me say DeFi a lot today, um, is really a way for you to basically be your own bank. You don't need to custody your money anymore with any institutions. You don't need to borrow and lend from institutions. Um, you can all do that on chain. And it just gives you that freedom to where using smart contracts um, or contracts that basically execute on the blockchain, given some parameters, 
um, you're able to, to custody your money and then also have full transparency in, in what's going on. And that to me is, you know, a really, really big deal. Cause you know, when you see, let's say, I don't know, Nancy Pelosi, uh, you know, showing, disclosing her trades after uh, 60 days, um, and she's already made, you know, God knows how many millions of dollars because of potentially insider trading. I'm not saying that she is, but potentially insider trading. She's a good trader. I don't know. I think she's, just <laughs> very, she's really good. She's got a good record. I, I know, man. She She's better than Warren Buffett and all these guys. <laughs> um, but on the blockchain, I'm able to like follow. I'm able to follow certain wallets and see their moves in real time. So there's no disclosures. It's fully transparent. And I really like that because it allows me to get, you know, more access to more alpha and it evens out the playing field. Uh, you know, like the other day, Michael Burry put that, that huge short, right. Um, on the S and P 500, I think it was the S and P 500. And, uh, we didn't know until 60 days later for, so for all we know, he's already closed the position. Right. And so it's, it's really cool to see like, again, these, you know, some real, savvy traders who may have, you know, some knowledge that you and I don't have on chain. And, and we're able to now see that in real time and go, Hey, maybe I'll, maybe I'll follow this person. Maybe I won't based on their track record, but at least it evens out the playing field. And that's what I love about DeFi. Uh, it allows us to, to really see all those things and then also be the institution. So like, instead of, you know, the NASDAQ or the New York stock exchange, or even in the crypto side, like, Coinbase or FTX or Binance providing liquidity, we now have the ability to provide liquidity. And instead of them making the fees on every single trade, we make the fees on every single trade. And that could be anywhere from like 0.05% all the way up to 1%. And that's really how I made a lot of my money um, on the last bull market was by being a, what we call a yield farmer or a, a liquidity pool miner um, and just understanding how you know the new way of finance works. So that's kind of what we do. Hopefully nobody's confused. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I'm sure that there's going to be a few people that are, haven't heard a lot of the terms that you've just said that that would want it broken down a little bit. And I actually am going to ask a little bit more about the smart contracts and how that whole thing works from an actual operational perspective and making sure that people actually follow through with the contract and all that. Like, how does it work? Yeah, so it's it's not even people following through it's executed based off of parameters. Right. So let's say for instance, right now I was, I just set a limit order uh, to buy Bitcoin at 25, six. Right. And so um, I set up a smart contract. Okay. Um, that says, Hey, if Bitcoin hits 25, six, then use my um, USD to buy it. And this is a stable coin, which is a cryptocurrency that is basically pegged or backed one-to-one -one by the dollar. So it now takes it out of my wallet and puts it into basically a reserve account that says, okay, or an escrow account that says, okay, once this parameter hits, then we'll go ahead and use this, whatever, hundred thousand uh, dollars to buy Bitcoin. Right. And then I also in the same in the same smart contract, I said, okay, I also want to set a take profit in a in a um, a stop loss, and so I set the stop loss at two percent because I'm using fifty x leverage, um, and then I set the the take profit at five percent and the stop loss at two percent, um, and I have basically a delta neutral that 
runs inverse to that. Well, all of those parameters get triggered by smart contracts. So there's no reliability on you figuring out like all this stuff or, or human error. It's all code and it all execute as things hit. And that's, and again, and it's all happening on the blockchain. So there's, there's no, uh, there's no human intervention. It's just running all day long, uh, fully automated. We have Lucian in the, uh, the comments. So he's, he's asking, uh, and I think he just had it um, misconstrued, but so he's saying if the data is available on the decentralized, decentralized side, why does it take 60 days for us to find out about it? I'm not sure I quite understand the aspect. Oh, of no, no. Yes. I, I, uh, Lucian, you probably got confused. So it would take, you know, anywhere between 45 to 60 days on the traditional finance side. Right. Yeah. So like if Nancy Pelosi buys a you know, microchip stock, uh, then, then she would do that. But on the blockchain, um, as long as it's on chain, you're able to get access to those wallets with a snap of a finger. I mean, you see it in real time as the trade's going through. Perfect. Now, given, I was going to ask you about the risks with using those smart contracts, because you're saying it's fully automated. So what, is there a possibility that something could go wrong and it doesn't operate the way that it's supposed to operate or, you know, what, what do you do in those cases? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we teach is how to audit the smart contracts. Um, and, you know, there are third parties that are very, very good at this. Um, but yes, there are definitely risks. Um, you know, usually the risks, though, happen um, on more of like the coin level. So let's say, for instance, you've got tomato coin that just got min minted. Um, people may be able to exploit the smart contracts by uh, minting an infinite amount of tomato coin and then taking it and selling it on the market and, and dumping the price. Um, but a lot of those, it's just basically, you know, kind of like back in the day, I don't know if you used to be in crypto back in 2016, 2017, 2018, where we used to see, you know, all these uh, exchanges getting hacked, right? Well, you don't hear about that anymore. And that's kind of what we experienced in DeFi, like a lot of smart contract um, being, exposed or being exploited. Uh, but now you're starting to hear less and less of that uh, because they're just getting better at better and, and the audits are getting stronger and stronger and they're learning, you know, where the, the holes are and they're just kind of building off of those smart contracts. So any new technology is going to be vulnerable. Uh, mm -hmm. But in my opinion, it's definitely gotten much, much better over the last like year, especially. Um, but there is risk um, in terms of, uh, smart contracts also if you know you have like let's say for instance you put your money into a liquidity pool um if you don't have you know the right uh the right smart contracts in place plugging a lot of those holes somebody could exploit it and milk the smart contract as well so you do have to understand where you where you could you know potentially lose your money uh and where you know the safest places are and that's again one of the things that we teach in our course now, I know you were kind of focusing on uh, crypto safety and uh, it, I, I'm sure the safety has improved a, a heck of a lot since uh, probably it started. But then again, within the last 18 months, you have Sam, Sam Bankman-Fried running around and there's a whole FTX thing. So how, 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 how do we know what is legitimately safe coin, a safe investment, where to keep it, where the wallets that, that we're holding out crypto should be? Right. Well, listen, FTX, Celsius, <laughs> Voyager, all these guys, what were they? They were not DeFi. They were centralized finance still. 
And, you know, people, when they, when they don't educate themselves, they sacrifice their security into others' hands, right? Now, you're probably, you're not going to see that, let's say, in like TradFi, like the stock market or uh, commodities trading or anything like that, because they're highly, highly regulated. But in crypto, you know, you had things like, again, Celsius, FTX that occurred, where they were running, you know, some would say very clear Ponzi schemes. I never worried about that because I wasn't in any, any of those, right? Like, let's say, for instance, Celsius, Celsius had a phenomenal borrowing and lending uh, platform where, you know, they were lending, you would put your Bitcoin up and they would lend you uh, USDC, which again is another stable coin at a 0% interest rate. But I'm sitting here going like, what would I put, you know, risk in a centralized exchange where I don't see any of the uh, data on chain? Because they're just basically putting their money into cold storage. And then it's just a derivative that you may be trading on their exchanges as opposed to the actual asset. Where on the blockchain, I'm actually trading the actual asset. And I'm able to see it in real time. So like, let's say, for instance, we've got like a borrowing and lending protocol called Aave. Aave, um, I'm able to see in real time. I can see, boom, right there on the blockchain. I can go straight to their smart contract and go, wait a second. You know, Ave, Ave doesn't have enough money to, to pay back, uh, you know, the, the, the lenders in the event that, you know, Bitcoin goes down. And that's not going to happen because, again, it's governed by smart contracts. So there's gravity that sets in with a lot of these, bar- with all of these borrowing and lending protocols that have been highly audited. And they say, look, if you put up Bitcoin and you borrow against it, that whatever, an 80% loan to value, and it goes down from 26.5 to, uh, you know, 25, you're getting liquidated or a portion of it is getting liquidated. And there is no and if or about it because once it hits that price, the smart contract executes, sells your Bitcoin and makes sure that the lender is paid back. And so these are the things that, you know, 2008 um, crisis or, you know, any sort of bubble before in the past is going to really be, um, put at ease with these smart contracts because you're going to have to play within the rules. Otherwise you risk getting liquidated or, you know, losing money. And that uh, I've learned those lessons the hard way, just, <laughs> you know, when I first got into DeFi, I didn't understand what a liquidation was. I was just like, Oh, you can borrow to 80%. Cool. And then like the next day I'm like, wait, why is like 20% of my Bitcoin gone? <laughs> you know? So, uh, but you know, Hey, a school of hard knocks for me sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, that's why go. you're the expert though, right? So Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I have more scars than I'd like to admit in DeFi. <laughs> Sorry, we I don't know something? if that makes sense. Oh, it no, does, no, no, absolutely. No. I, I, yeah. Yeah. That, cool. uh, so so where is the um if we're not using Coinbase or or any of the, the major ones, where where do you actually go to see the data? Where where are you able to view the contracts? Yeah, I mean, like directly on the blockchain. So you can go to like etherscan.io um, or a lot of these um, really good um, DeFi protocols have you know their audits posted on their websites. So you can actually go and see what these third-party auditors, and most of them even have like two or three. It's not just like one audit uh, because if like one doesn't catch something, maybe the other one will. Um but you'll, you'll be able to see these audits on their websites and you can click through. And a lot of the audits, it's like a pretty straightforward thing. Like, hey, this is a code red, you know, uh, type of exploit that can occur in this smart contract. 
Um, but a lot of them, what happens is once they do get the smart contract audit back, they go ahead and fix it immediately um, to avoid any exploits. And they're constantly upgrading these these uh, smart contracts because the last thing you want to do um, is is um, you know get <laughs> have some some black hat hacker you know drain all of your funds or your people's funds and and that has happened uh, when the smart contracts haven't been audited or or they're not very strong to begin with well, that's very cool can we transition a little bit into the utility of actual cryptocurrency for a minute and kind of see where that's sitting now and how it's progressed over the last several of several years where, where is that sitting right now yeah i mean when you look at it like for me the, the two strongest ones that have utility are um, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, and then there's there's obviously a whole bunch of layer two cryptos um, built on the Ethereum network that I think also have a strong use case. But essentially what's happening is we're building these like new financial networks that use gas or cryptocurrencies in order to pay for these transactions. Now we've got like the Ethereum network, which is the, probably one of the most widely used ones in the world, um, especially when it comes to smart contracts, they're probably number one. I haven't checked it in a while, so don't quote me. There's a lot of new layer twos that have come out recently um, that have grown in popularity, but I believe Ethereum is is definitely number one. And basically, what is the use case of it? Well, every single time there's a transaction, you use Ethereum. And the cool thing about Ethereum is about a year and a half ago, they dropped a new, uh, a new release on the code where every single transaction uh, that goes through a little bit of Ethereum is burnt. And this is now making Ethereum deflationary as opposed to before it was basically unlimited in, uh, inflation. And so um, now while they still do have an inflationary part of it, um, so many people are using the network that it's starting to go down. Um, so Ethereum is definitely one of them in terms of transferring value. Bitcoin is still, you know, right now the, the king and storing value. Um, people really like that, you know, Bit the Bitcoin network is so secure. Um, but in terms of like use case, Bitcoin is like, meh. I mean, you can't really use it for smart contracts and the, you know, despite the fact that the Bitcoin maxis would probably, you know, yell in my face telling me that they, they can do it. They can't, it's just not, uh, it's not a realistic thing. I've actually used their layer two solutions and they're very clunky and, and not so good. But um, those are the two best use cases. I have another uh, few cryptos where, you know, they've got um, they've got really good um, profit sharing programs where, you know, they're they're DAOs. So like you you come in and you participate, you're able to vote in the direction of the the uh, project. And then also any fees that are generated from there, you're able to collect by holding their, their cryptocurrency. So that's another one. But the thing that I'm most excited about is um, tokenized real estate. And we actually just launched our um, first tokenized real estate project uh, last week at a mastermind that I had here in Panama. And um, the, the use case that you have in terms of transferring value of real estate is phenomenal because now you have a sector that used to be very, very illiquid, and now you've made it into one of the most liquid markets into the world. And I believe that you know real estate is is going to boom over the coming years. It's going to be as liquid, actually more liquid than the stock market, and just as liquid as the crypto market, where you're going to be able to go and with a click of the button, 
take a look at some properties that you may like that are producing passive income and go, okay, hey, I'll buy that. Somebody's offering it. Um, and you'll be able to buy a fraction of, you know, whatever, a warehouse or an apartment or a single family home. And you'll be just generating that passive income month in, month out. And that's the part that, that in my opinion, is really exciting. So let me get this straight. You're talking about actually uh, like a real estate trading market where you're getting a partial share in the ownership of a piece of real estate rather than actually buying the physical asset. That's correct. And unlike, unlike, yeah, like, yeah, it's really cool. And some people are like, Oh, like a REIT. I'm like, no, not like a REIT, a REIT, you go, you know, you go, you buy a, a huge property or a huge collection of properties and you don't really have access to diversification where here in this marketplace, again, you'll have the ability to go, okay, Hey, I kind of want to diversify myself. I want to have some short-term Airbnb rentals. I want to have some long-term rentals that maybe don't pay quite as much, but are low risk. Uh, I want to buy a warehouse. I want to buy, you know, a a commercial strip that's paying 12% per year. And so it's really cool. And then all those, all the, uh, the, the payouts get paid to you in cryptocurrency in a, in a stable coin. Again, an, another coin that's pegged to the dollar called DAI. Um, and it just keeps hitting your account month after month once, um, you know, once you get uh, buying it. So it's really cool. Wow. I know they have, they have um, that concept already kind of with uh, like Fundrise. They have uh, Acre Investments, I think. Might, that yeah. might be a little different. You could you could buy partial like rental vacation homes things like. So so there's definitely a movement kind of going into the almost crowdfunding investment space, which I think is cool. And I think I think crypto could give a, a different aspect to that. But it, until the the part that I think mainstream would be held up at is number one besides like. The, the crowdfunding area, or I think people have purchased cars using crypto, things like that. Why, why would I want to sell my house for crypto if, if it's going to be as volatile as it has been? Hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Let's, let's dissect that. Cause there's kind of two things to that, what you just said. So with this, you're not selling your house for crypto. Like these, these properties, the first four that we just tokenized, we bought in cash. Right. And so we sold the tokens, though, in crypto. So like if you're an individual investor and you're like, yeah, you're right. The crypto market is way volatile and I need to take profit into something other than USD that's going to appreciate and that's going to pay me a passive income. Where do I go? Real estate. So now a lot of us that are in crypto, we're like, man, I I wish crypto would grow up. Well, now it's growing up. Right. Now you're able to take that those profits that you made off those trades in, in Bitcoin and take it into less risky assets like real estate and you're able to you're able to put them in there. So um, but there are people, there definitely are people that are uh, that are buying uh, crypto, um, buying real estate using crypto. Now, here's the thing, and this is where people get mixed up a lot, right? Uh, especially here in Panama, people have what's called stable coins. Again, a cryptocurrency that is backed one-to-one by the dollar, uh, such as USDC or USDT. And they're going, hey, all uh, you got an apartment here, you know, with a nice ocean view for a million bucks. Um, I'll send you a million dollars in USDT. And you're able to basically 
just record that that transaction and it's the best type of transaction because it's on the blockchain and you're able to see it's irrefutable hey uh you know um dan sent given um you know a million bucks to his his uh wallet it's there ready to transfer deed uh and title so that's that in my opinion um is is a much easier way than wiring money because it clears right away uh, but some people may still decide that they want to wire money. Um, but those yeah. are those are things. And you I have think to the, understand the difference. Yeah, and I think with the smart contracts, I mean, I think the importance of that would be cutting a heck of a lot of middlemen out of out of the transaction. So, um, I mean, there's there's all the mortgage brokers, there's the the real estate agents, there's there's a whole bunch of people involved in the real estate process that I think just and banks are involved. Just a whole mess of paperwork. It's just a more simple transaction of like. Okay, here's here's the money, here's the financing, this is what it is. And and the so I think the smart contract cuts down and stores the information. So I, I think that that is a huge valuable area for for the smart contracts. Yeah, no, and you know, we're like I said, we're we're seeing it, you know, at the beginning when when we first buy these to tokenize them, obviously that's where the the heavy lifting goes in and, and all the contracts go in. But once that's there boom, you're able to just, you know, buy and sell it like no problem. As long as you have a marketplace, obviously that's what you need. You need kind of liquidity. You need, you need buyers, you need sellers. Um, but you know, we're building that, uh, little by little, we've got, you know, over a thousand investors in ours and we're build, bringing on, you know, many other thousand of investors, thousands of investors over the uh, coming months. So, um, again, the key thing here is making sure that, um, you have a marketplace, but, the cool thing too is that you know the prices cannot get um, too out of control either because they are they're, these tokens are what are called securities tokens and securities tokens are basically they follow some very very strict regulatory compliance and so what ends up happening is every single year for these properties we do need to have an evaluation of the of the price of the property to make sure that we have that the token price reflects the price of the real estate and now people can sell it for higher or lower depending on you know the most important thing will probably be roi right the higher the roi the more people will want to buy that particular token the lower the roi the less people will want to buy but essentially you'll have a, a guide as to what the price of that cryptocurrency will be based off of that annual evaluation of each property which is kind of cool